You're listening to Identity Theft by Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Downey, and sponsored by the award-winning Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense series. Visit alanaterry.com slash unabridged to get the first three-book bundle in the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense series today. And now, enjoy today's episode of Unabridged, the Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 23 Hours after the shooting, Lacey was still trembling. Two officers had driven her to the Anchorage Police Department. They didn't tell her what she was waiting for, but she had a pretty good idea. They settled her in a room they assured her was completely secure. It was cold and drafty, with a dank, almost mildewy smell. A female officer asked her a few questions about the shooting, quickly realized Lacey was too stunned to offer any helpful information, and then left her alone with a cup of orange juice and half a jumbo Costco muffin. She didn't realize someone was watching her from another room until she took out her cell to call Sandy, and a loud projected voice shattered the silence. No phone calls, miss. It's for your own safety. She put the phone on the table in front of her. Secure. The officers told her she was secure, but that was a far cry from feeling safe. She was cold. Could she ask for a blanket? Why had that woman just left her with tepid juice and an old snack? Lacey had so many questions. Was Raphael okay? How had Curtis shown up? And why? Who was the shooter and what happened to him? Had anybody thought to explain to Sandy what was going on, or was she still waiting at the hospital, wondering what was taking so long? She hated being cooped up in here, cooped up with nothing but questions. She tried to squeeze her eyes shut, but all she could see was Raphael's blood staining her blouse. Why hadn't the police offered her a change of clothes? Couldn't they see how filthy she was? A knock on the door. Lacey stood up from her metal folding chair. You in here, Joe? It's me. Relief rushed over her like an avalanche at the sound of Curtis's voice. She flung the door open. What's going on? Where's Sandy? Is Raphael hurt? Why are they keeping me locked up in here? She rattled off each question without pausing for breath. He frowned. Are you sure you want to hear everything right now? She bit her lip and nodded. It was like waiting for an injection you knew would hurt, but the anticipation was worse than the shot itself. Okay. Curtis sat in another fold-up chair beside her. So, to start off, yes, Raphael was hurt. It's... He lowered his voice. It's pretty bad. They're doing what they can, but nobody seems too hopeful. She wanted to tell him, tell him how Raphael pushed her down out of the way of the bullet, but she couldn't find her voice. And they brought you here because we got the one shooter. He's in custody. But nobody knows if there were others, too. They're going to keep you here until Drisclay. His voice caught. He cleared his throat. Drisclay's on his way right now. She had expected that much, expected it, and feared it, too. Lacey couldn't meet his eyes. Does Sandy know? He swallowed and nodded. Yeah, I told her everything. She's grabbing a few things for you, and then she'll be over. It'll be her turn next. Her turn? The pronouncement sounded ominous. Her turn for what? He stared at his knees. To say goodbye. 
The words hung in the air between them, filling the heavy spaces. It was so dense, Lacey wondered how either of them were still breathing. So this was it. Lacey had been so ready to be rid of Joe, ready to slip out of her old identity just like she was ready to change out of her bloody blouse. But not like this. Drisclay was coming. That could only mean one thing. A new placement. Except this time, Lacey couldn't argue with him about whether or not it was necessary. She sighed and shut her eyes. She knew there would be no tears. Not today. Not tomorrow. They probably wouldn't fall for a month. Maybe two. She'd be driving somewhere with her new driver's license, listening to the radio station in a new town on her way to her new job, and a song would come on, something that would remind her of Curtis, Raphael, Sandy, everything that had happened to her. That's when she would cry. Then, and not before. Betrayed by her own body, which felt some primitive need to conserve energy in this time of crisis, instead of offering her the immediate release she craved. How did you find me? she asked. How did you know I was in trouble? Something had been bugging me since the accident, Curtis explained. Your car, somebody tampered with it. Somebody in Glen Allen. But the Dodge that was chasing you was coming from the other way. So I got to thinking, and all I could figure was Raphael had done it. Maybe he wasn't who you thought he was. Then Drisclay got in touch, said he was worried because you weren't returning his calls. I thought he was just trying to get me to go back to Glen Allen. He was trying to keep you alive, Curtis corrected her. And then I told him what I'd figured about the car, and he said it was suspicious enough that we should look into it. So he made plans to fly back here, and I dropped Madeline off at the daycare with Kim and drove down myself. I called Sandy when I got to town and asked where you were. She said you went to the hospital to visit Raphael, and it wasn't his fault, you know. Lacey wasn't sure why she said it. She just couldn't stand the way Curtis spoke his name. I mean, he was involved, but he wasn't trying to hurt me or anything. Was that true? Or was she just making excuses? He should have thought of that before getting you mixed up in any of this. Curtis let out his breath. I mean, I understand you two have a past together, but seriously, could they talk about something else, anything else? He frowned. If he wanted what was best for you, he should have thought enough to stay away. He should have... He waved his hand in the air. Never mind. She was glad when he dropped the matter. So did Drisclay say anything about where I'll be going from here? She asked. Curtis's hard-set expression softened. You know he can't tell me that sort of thing. She nodded. Yeah, I know. I just thought, with you being a cop and all. I'm a trooper, remember? He forced a smile. Lacey couldn't return it. I need to go soon. Got a long drive home. He stood up. I'm just glad you're going to be safe, finally. He took a step toward the door, and Lacey realized in that moment what a fool she'd been. A fool to let her memories of Raphael tarnish her relationship with Curtis in the first place. A fool to turn down Curtis when all he'd ever wanted to do was keep her happy, safe. 
a fool to have spent so much energy wondering if she could really settle down with someone like him. Now it was too late. This was goodbye. This wasn't a boyfriend and girlfriend taking time off to step back and evaluate their relationship. This wasn't getting dumped, hoping one day your ex might regret it and realize what a horrible mistake he'd made. This was goodbye, just as final as if one of them had died. They could have been so good together. I'll miss you. She stood and took a step toward him. Me too. His voice was tight as he opened his arms. What else was there to say? It wasn't as if Lacey were moving to go to college or study abroad where she could write or call whenever she missed him. She couldn't promise to let him know when she arrived safely at her destination. Neither of them knew where she was going. That's the way it had to be. Their hug was awkward at first, like two partners at a junior high dance. Then he rested his cheek on the top of her head, and she felt the rise of his chest as he inhaled. He ran his thumb across her cheek. She looked up at him. His lips were so close, so kissable. She shut her eyes as one of his tears dripped onto her face. Goodbye. He stepped back. Lacey watched him leave, listened to the hollow sound of the door as it clicked and locked in place behind him. Chapter 24 The silence was haunting, heavy, relentless, icicles of loneliness weighing down on her heart. Why had she let any of this happen? She should have never gotten in the car with Raphael last week, never left Glen Allen. But then what? Wait to get killed by the man who followed him to Alaska? Raphael. She would never see him again. She knew it just as plainly as if he had died from his injuries. Maybe he would die. Lacey saw the next few weeks stretch lifelessly before her, checking the Alaska Daily News website, constantly reloading to see if there was any information of his passing. Would the media find it newsworthy enough to report? Would anybody else in the entire blasted state care? Would she ever know what happened to him? She had been mad at God, angry at him for forcing her to choose between two men. She had grumbled, complained. Now he was taking both Curtis and Raphael away from her. That should teach her for whining so much. Why couldn't she have been content? Content working at the daycare, staying in Glen Allen. The 4th of July salmon feed was only a week away. She could have been engaged, married Curtis adopted Madeline, added a few more kids to their family. Two weeks ago, that sort of a future seemed so confining, restricting. Lacey would do just about anything now to reverse the clock and change what had happened, stop Raphael from coming to Alaska in the first place. She didn't hate him for what he'd done. It was his fault, but she couldn't hate him. She didn't love him either, though not like she had in the past. She loved his memory, wished it weren't tainted by all the horrible mistakes he'd made, but she was no longer in love with him. Maybe she had grown up in the past week. Maybe she had become more like Joe than she originally realized. She was hungry, 
weak from the trauma of the day, the trauma of the past four years, really. How much could one person endure? For I know the plans I have for you. Was this some cosmic version of a practical joke or something? Raphael had found peace in religion, solace. He threw himself into his new zeal for Christianity the same way he pursued his art, the same way he pursued Lacey. He wore his faith on his sleeve, but still kept on making one dumb choice after another. No overdose of spiritual fervor could offset his immaturity. She thought about Curtis, how she felt comfortable if he mentioned God and just as comfortable if he didn't. He lived out his faith instead of parroting fancy church phrases, instead of thrusting his religion on anyone with a strong enough stomach to listen. For I know the plans I have for you. Lacey wondered if God really did have a plan for each person's life, or if it was more like a choose-your-own-adventure story, where he knew all the possible outcomes, but let everyone flounder around on their own to figure everything out. Oh well, there was no use dwelling on any of this. What would it help? The door burst open, and Lacey didn't experience the repugnance she usually felt at Driscoll's appearance. This wasn't his fault either. After Lacey had made such a big fuss about no longer needing his protection, he was here again, ready to whisk her away to someplace safe. She should feel grateful. Instead, she felt nothing empty, like a black winter sky when clouds cover all the stars. He took a sip from his styrofoam cup. Joe. She had spent so many years hating that name, that identity. She had been a fool. He set his cup down, splashing a few drops of cold coffee on the table between them. I didn't expect to be back in Alaska so soon. She waited waited for his lecture about how dumb she had been to resume a relationship with someone from her past, complain about how her and Raphael's stupidity cost the program so many thousands of dollars for their new relocations, remind her how crucially important it was to stick to the directives, obey the rules, never trust anybody, never let anybody come close to learning about her past. Instead, he sat down with a groan. You've had an eventful day. He folded his hands on the table. So let me tell you what's going to happen from here. Lacey refused to think back to the night four years ago when she first met Drisclay and had a very similar conversation. She was a different person now, older, hopefully wiser. Whatever was going to happen to her, she would accept it like a mature adult. Drisclay was trying to help her and she was going to jump through whatever hoops he laid out for her without complaining. Her life and future depended on it. She nodded. I'm ready. Thanks for joining us today for Unabridged, your go-to podcast for unabridged Christian fiction audiobooks. You've been listening to Identity Theft, an Alaskan refuge Christian suspense novel by USA Today bestselling author Alana Terry. 
Hit subscribe so you don't miss future chapters and be sure to tune in at the end of the season for a special behind the scenes episode about the making of identity theft. I'll tell you all about where I got my ideas for this book, how I came up with my characters, and the embarrassing realization that I had months after I wrote the story when I realized I wrote myself into this novel. Today's unabridged installment was sponsored by the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense audio box set. Audible listeners get the first three books in the best-selling Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense series for just one credit. New Audible listeners can download the first three audiobooks in this gripping, relevant series totally free with an Audible trial. Go to alanaterry.com slash unabridged to dive into the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense audiobook series today. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.